Good morning and welcome to Backstory with me, Noreen Mir. Our guest this week is a very special guest. I've been wanting to speak to him for a long time, having known him for as long as my career at RTHK. He was also a journalist for more than 15 years. He's been in Hong Kong for over 25. He knows the basic law better than anybody I know. I know I'm not giving a lot away, but this guest sure has a fascinating backstory. He is Danny Gittings, Assistant Professor of Law at HKU Space. Well, I was born in 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 Britain, but um, my father worked in Hong Kong um, for a couple of years, and we came out to Hong Kong. I was like sort of two or three years old. I have this just just this one memory of um, we lived at the peak, which will make you think we are incredibly rich. But we, we no the Very reason rich. <laughs> no, it wasn't that like that at all. And we it shows how old I am. We literally came out after the sixty seven riots when um, the Hong Kong economy had collapsed, and you could rent an apartment at the. the peak. My father was a journalist, of course, meant he wasn't paid very much, right? As, as we all know. Um, but I after sixty seven riots, um, even a journalist could afford to rent a small place on the peak. And I have this one memory of standing at the um, peak tram, which is a very different thing, uh, then looking looking down at um, Victoria Harbour, which of course was, the whole thing was completely different then. That, that's all I remember. I mean, I was literally two years old or so at the time. Then you guys moved back to the UK? Yes, we took the Trans-Siberian Railway. And of course, in those days, you couldn't go through China. So you would go to Japan. You My would George take the drop. boat. Wow, that's <laughs> yes. really cool. <laughs> this I remember nothing of at all. We took the, the, the railway all the way across Russia back to the UK. And I, so I grew up in, in, in Britain, uh, mostly in London, but of course there was always this family connection with um, Hong Kong. I came back when I was uh, 15, just on a brief visit, and we also visited China, but uh, uh, when I finished college in, in Britain, and uh, like so many other people, you, you want to go off travelling somewhere and live overseas, well of course um, the logical place is Hong Kong, where I'd already been as a child. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. You've got three brothers, haven't you, Danny? <laughs> right. Yep, so My four parents boys. were poor, desperately hoping for a daughter <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, when I we had um, uh, we had the, the, uh, I've got a son and a daughter. When we had our second child, my mother said to me, "Oh, well, you, you, only two children. You've done better than we have." So, um, but one uh, boy, one girl as well. So, yeah, hold you high. Very good. Always told, yeah, it's always told how how blessed we are. But yes, so I mean, that was um, hard work. My, I mean, it's it's not like Hong Kong with domestic helpers. My my mother gave up work for twenty years to to bring us up. Um, uh, we're not poor, but we with um, a family of four kids, we didn't have a huge amount of money we didn't have a car for a while even we didn't have a tv as i constantly remind my children um, really (laughs) danny oh wow i i in my mind i thought you had a very sort of privileged no i don't want to exaggerate i mean we're we're, we're not impoverished or anything like that but you you have a large family you you do have to make some 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 sacrifices sacrifices. were you a i mean four boys including (laughs) yourself you must have had a very adventurous childhood oh i don't know i think i was probably a very boring kid right it's my brothers who got into all kinds of scrapes oh i I like the way you're blaming your (laughs) brothers well i mean as the oldest right you probably know right the oldest the responsibility is always pinned on you right so it's the younger ones who tend to have more fun that's true that's did did you have a happy childhood I think so, but I think I probably worked too hard and um, uh, I made up for a little bit at university. I mean, I, I went to Oxford and it's it's not easy to get into Oxford, so I worked incredibly hard to get in and then once you get there, you, you do slacken off a bit and there's very little um, formal... Slacking te- off in Oxford? <laughs> yeah. Oh, very easy. I mean, you actually, I mean, most people who've been to Oxford or Cambridge will tell you actually you, you learn far more from your fellow students than you ever do from the teachers. I mean, it's more about the atmosphere there and they, they have this system where you've actually only 
only have you don't have to go to uh, to um, the lectures, so you only have really a couple of hours of compulsory classes a week. Yeah. So yes, enjoy that very much. Were you a good student then, Danny? I mean, you, you must have really enjoyed studying to to get really good grades, or were you just you know, let's face it, let's not be humble. Were you naturally just smart? No, I, I'm just, I'm not an outstanding student, and I got okay grades, but um, nothing special. And because I, I did a lot of other, I mean, it was um, I was president of the students' union. It's not called students' union; it's called junior common room in Oxford. But I was president of the students' union. Dabbled in politics, dabbled in student journalism. So you can see where where yeah. that led, right? <laughs> so I mean, all the things you you do do at university, and which in some ways are important, or maybe more important than studying. Yeah. What did you study in university then? Oh, I studied. Uh, pol- well, it's called PPE, politics, philosophy, and economics. But essentially, I'm focusing on politics. And- wow. Wow. International relations. What did you want to be when you were little? Did I mean your your dad? Your dad is a journalist. God forbid! Did I want to be a fireman or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had I've had many you know guests on on backstory say they wanted to be fireman, yeah, fireman. or airline pilot. I've always used your policeman. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, no, no, they're probably not no, admitting it now. No, I mean, you have to remember that. I mean, the London of the um, of the seventies when I grew up. Is sadly, in this respect, is a bit like the Hong Kong of today. Is that the police were distrusted? Mm. I mean, and you, the police were. I mean, in fact, perhaps even worse than it is in Hong Kong now. Police were thought of a bit of as the enemy, and so you you wouldn't want to be a policeman. Yeah, and your teachers would certainly tell you, no way, you don't want to be a policeman. Did you Did you want to be a fireman then? I think so. I really, it's so long ago. I, I don't have a very strong memory of it, but I think so, yes. Yeah. Not, and I don't know why, though. I really don't know why. So you mentioned you have, you know, a connection with Hong Kong. So after you graduated, you went traveling a little bit and you ended up back in Hong Kong. Oh, yes. I mean, I arrived here. Actually, I was um, overstayed my visa in uh, China. Uh, well, I had extended it twice, but that, that was it. Um, and then got caught up in a riot in Tibet. Um, and we were, and of course, then they discovered that my visa. <laughs> I mean, in those days, China was relatively relaxed towards these kind of things, um, by foreigners. I paid a uh, fine of a couple of hundred renminbi. Um, I had to write a, what's called a self-criticism. They're very big on these things in China where you a say, self-criticism. Oh, yeah, no, it's a very big concept in China where uh, the main problem they had with it was I didn't write the word self-criticism on the top. Once I'd done that, um, I'm going to I'm very sorry. I overstayed my visa so, and so on. Okay, so that's just an apology. Letter. Basically, yeah. I mean, that's a very big thing. Big oh. in China, they and the yes and uh, law. And once you've done that, it, basically everything's okay. That's it. Oh wow! They've got I've it never on heard file. of it before. Um, and, okay. And then I. Um, um, then I, um, then I, I flew from, um, from Lhasa, from Tibet, more or less directly. I mean, we changed in, uh, Guangzhou, but more or less directly to Hong Kong. You can imagine what culture shock, especially, to, uh, sort of 20 years or so ago, the culture shock of being in Tibet in the morning and, uh, being in the bustle of Hong Kong in the evening. It really was. Yeah. Um, Did you plan to then live in Hong Kong then? Or I mean, was it the, uh, a short stay and then just ended up staying? Or did you have plans to? be living in Hong Kong? I think it might have been in the back of my mind, but it certainly wasn't a firm intention. I am certainly one of these. Um, I mean, there were so many of us. I mean, Mike Rass is another example, yeah. 10 years or so ago, who, uh, who drift through Hong Kong, like it, meet people and stay. Yeah. And here I still am more than 20 years later. Yeah, with a family, wonderful yeah. family in here in Hong Kong. What was your first job in Hong Kong? Well, RTHK didn't want me. I wasn't experienced <laughs> enough. Seriously? Seriously, yes. Uh, I was decided I was not experienced enough, so I went to SCMP instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's back up a little bit. What was your first job ever? Oh, well, pretty much. I mean, I, I, I worked for a, a year or so in uh, doing a couple of jobs for newspapers in London, but um, I, I mean, I left Britain fairly soon after I graduated. So, I mean, and I'd all, always had a 
like so many people, right? When once you graduate, you, you want to go and live somewhere else. So it was always pretty clear in my mind. When it, you see what happened when I got to university, I didn't take a gap year between school and university. Yeah. And when I got to university, I met all these people who had wonderful gap years and been all over the world. And I thought, damn, that really was a mistake. <laughs> um, that's something I've got to do. And of course, now you're at college, you've got to finish your course first. But having finished it, it was clear to me. I, I really wanted to see more of the world. I never took a gap year. I still haven't <laughs> taken a gap year. Well, I know, for you yet, Noreen. I yeah. know. <laughs> Maybe after the show, I might have to take a <laughs> So then afterwards, you came to Hong Kong. You said you, you weren't qualified for RTHK. Now we can't get enough of you. Yeah. You're now well, you're, you see, you're, to be fair, your civil service, you have very um, fixed rules about how many years' experience you have to have for various kinds of jobs. And I, I was just starting out, so I, yeah. I didn't have that experience. Of course, um, other when you're not civil service, they don't care so much about that. As long as we can pay you a low salary, that's fine. We'll take you. So, yeah. um, um, and in those days, of course, the employment situation in Hong Kong was very good. I mean, it's, it was the time of the brain drain. Huge numbers of people were leaving to go overseas, and um, it was very easy to just walk into a job as a um, as a Brit. I didn't need a work visa, and um, I just started working in the SNP and was there for ten years, I suppose. And wow. by the time I left the SNP, there were only about two or three people still at the SNP who'd been there when I arrived, which is probably a pretty good sign. I've been there too long. And then you moved on to the Wall Street Journal. I spent five years, which was quite a cool. I mean, go from a Hong Kong paper to working for an American paper is a really a, um, was it a contrast. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, and you could was broad- it a big it- shock for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very. I mean, I'm very grateful for the opportunities they gave me. I can broaden my horizons. SCMP, uh, you're covering Hong Kong, which is fantastic, and I went through fantastic time. And also. Back then, SCMP had this really high reputation, and Hong Kong's ruled by the Brits, and they, most of them can't read Chinese, so they can only read SCMP. It was wonderful to wow. be able to. It was really wonderful to annoy Chris Patton again and again because I mean, he, 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 he's very interested in the press, but he can't read most of the papers in Hong Kong. So he, you know he'll be picking up the SCMP first thing in the morning. Yeah. And if you, if you run some story that causes trouble, which is part of a journalist's job, then yeah. you know you've irritated him. And quite often when the call comes through from government house in the middle of the morning, you know you succeeded. So <laughs> You that say was, that with a big smile. <laughs> well, I mean, it is part of... Um, yeah, it is, And you're not in business in journalism to run stories that um, are going to make the government happy. So, I mean, and that, I mean, I, I, think I feel very... I'm not a journalist anymore, um, but I feel very strongly that. Um, yeah. But I'm very grateful to Wall Street Journal. Give me a different perspective. I could travel around the region. I reported from Indonesia, from Korea and so on. It's... Um, and, Indeed, from the US as well. So it's um, it's it's a very nice supplement to have done work both for a um, a local newspaper in Hong Kong and also for an international newspaper. It's a yeah. nice combination. What's been sort of the most stressful story that you've ever covered in your years of journalism? Well, two two, two things I want to ask: stressful or and most sort of satisfied story. Which story sort of really stood out in your memory that you feel really proud about? Which one do you want first? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe let's hear the stressful one first, and we can end on a better note. The stressful is is is, is curious because it was it was actually it, that was that was my arrival in Hong Kong, um, and I touched on that briefly. I mean, um, although I was travelling around Tibet and so on, uh, primarily to to, to to see China, but um, I was freelancing. I was caught up in this uh, protest in um, in Tibet, and it was very scary. Um, and as um, I um, said a few weeks ago, I mean, a few weeks ago when tear gas was fired in Hong Kong, that was the second time in my life I've seen tear gas. The first time was in Tibet, and it was a lot more scary. I was in an alley, a tear gas was being, a very small alley, tear gas, and one brief period, tear gas was being fired at both ends of the alley. We could not get out. 
Um, and earlier on, something which did, has not happened in Hong Kong, I, I saw live ammunition being used. Um, in fact, I saw someone shot and I later inspected the body. Uh, so yes, that is. Oh, and then, of course, um, Tibet was sealed off from the outside world. I mean, we couldn't communicate. Um, um, my story, which appeared in a couple of British papers, well, I mean, this sounds melodramatic, but it really is true. Um, my story was written out, handwritten, and smuggled out in the sock of a foreign tourist leaving um, Tibet, who then phoned it through, uh, having left Tibet. Danny, my jaws just dropped. You're serious? It was handwritten and smuggled out. Well, I don't know if he had to carry it in his sock, but he—I mean—he did not want it. And if it had, yeah, been, if it had been found, it yeah. would have been confiscated. Um, and he I mean, has, to trouble. put it the other way, I mean, once they called up with me and they called me in for um, for having overstayed my visa, and they knew I was involved in these events. As I said, I mean, the you must have been terrified. Well, the punishment was actually well. We knew by that stage that they were pretty worried about um, uh, how this would look overseas. The punishment was very mild. It was a fine of a couple hundred oh, MMP really? and this self-criticism that I wrote. Yep. <laughs> um, so it, it was, I mean, when they actually caught up with you, but certainly at the time, and it was, um, it was a very scary What were event. you thinking in that alley? Well, well, well uh, it, I mean, it, it's probably only 90 seconds or so. So you, don't, you just think about how you're trying to escape. I mean, from what I remember was eventually they stopped firing tear gas at both ends. They only fired at one end. And so we all, I mean, it wasn't just me, there were a bunch of others. We, we ran out of the alley and, and washed our faces. Um, so. Okay, let's move on to a, a happier story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> tear gas this, this early in the morning? This is why I did have um, uncomfortable memories when I watched the tear gas on the Hong Kong streets a few weeks ago. Um, and of course, having last time I'd watched tear gas, um, um, it wasn't just tear gas. Uh, this time, fortunately, it was just tear gas. But um, having watched tear gas once before and seen other things that were even worse follow, that, that inevitably does go through your mind when you see it again. Definitely. Wow. Okay, a happier note. Yeah, on a happier note, yeah, yes. a happier <laughs> note Danny. What's been a sort of really. Oh, it has to be embarrassing, the government. I mean, yes. I mean, that's what you. I mean, you, journalism is. Um, journalism, you, you, you have a responsibility and you should never forget that, right? I mean, people do by and large still believe what you write in newspapers say yeah. so um, and you have a responsibility but at the same time you're not in in journalism to make life easy for people in power I mean journalism is to report the facts and particularly to report the facts that people in power um, don't want you to report because normally those are interesting and <laughs> absolutely <laughs> digging out um, sort of um, I don't quite want to call them scandals but certainly um, intense blunders that um, I mean I work for <laughs> intense the intense blunders well, it was. I, like I mean that when we discovered that um, because of they uh, for various um, uh, they made various mistakes in the whole process that the uh, then president of the legislative council might not actually be president at all um, and I remember you see I had the great advantage I, I, who was that uh, that was then uh, John Swain um, but the um, it was it was about the um, I don't want to go into the legal technicalities but it was about the before the governor had always been president of the legislative council mm-hmm. and they they had to change the law to um, make John Swain instead and they made a number of mistakes in it in this and of course they tried to cover it up uh, I want I want to hear this actually yeah, I mean they I, this is it, because it's actually it's not something that's done in Hong Kong it's actually done in London mm-hmm. um, because um, it's done by British colonial documents and clearly they weren't paying very much attention to it um, and um, so they, they got it wrong but then of course instead of admitting they got it wrong they tried um, to, cover, they it try to cover it up sounds very like yeah. our government right <laughs> it now. does doesn't it yes um, and fortunately there were I mean I think they've left 
Hong Kong now, there were some people in the government who weren't terribly happy about this. And of course, they couldn't come out and directly say this to me, but they they offered me some hints, and then you you'd put some work into it. it the whole process took a couple of months, but um, so you come out with this really quite big story. But even more satisfying, I mean, I, mean, I was very fortunate for the first part of my career at the South China Morning Post. I worked for the Sunday Morning Post, just mm-hmm. um, which was then a separate team, um, which meant you had the whole week to work on one paper, and you had the whole week to work on one story like this. I mean, of wow. course, in the end, they canned it, right? Because they decided that this day and age, you won't put resources in something like that, which is it's a shame. You still have a Sunday Post, but not the same sort of dedicated staff. But yeah. it gave us time to ferret out stories like that. Even better, of course, there's no news on a Sunday. So when you splash with a story like that, of course, everyone, I mean, it's great. You, you, you've written the story, you stayed up to midnight, putting the story into the paper, you go to sleep and um, you wake up sort of nine or 10, it's all over cable and politicians have been interviewed about it. And the next morning, Ledgeco's holding a hearing on it because you, of course, you publish something on a Sunday, you set the agenda for the week. Wow. And even better, even better, Chris Patton then comes out in the afternoon and criticises it. And you know that um, you've obviously you've obviously struck home when he comes out and criticises it. I've got like goosebumps. That. I'm just thinking, you know, too bad Facebook wasn't invented then. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it'd just be all over social media. Oh, it would be media. different these days. Because it, it would, because it would go far, now it would go viral on the social media, yeah. things like this. I mean, in those days, you still relied on the sort of old, I mean, cable TV was just coming in you you but you relied based on the old established media and it was a it was a slower me I mean it was a, a slower news cycle what made you want to switch careers I mean because you, you you know you've, you've been a journalist for how many more well, over 15 in, years well over- as a full-time journalist for 15 years um, but although I enjoyed it with hindsight that probably was too long and um, you're aware Noreen I mean you, you look around in Hong Kong most people do not I mean they're RTH may be different most most people do not stay journalists for 15 years. I mean, really? journalism is... I'm I mean, thinking about Chagani. <laughs> <laughs> I said most people, and Michael was, Mike was overseas and came back to Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, but you look around your, your Hong Kong newsrooms. True. I mean, journalism, I mean, and you may well move on to another career yeah, later no, on. Yes, maybe, you're still young. And like, what would like I me. do? <laughs> All kinds of things. Um, uh, uh, it really should be about, is about me, but I, I, I wouldn't... I would be surprised if you're a journalist for your entire entire life. We'll talk about it after the program. <laughs> Maybe I'll see what I can. Do. Well, you teach, you know. That's... Well, I mean, and also when I come to Hong Kong, I see that how important. I, there are no lawyers in my family, and law is not uh, something we had. My father's a journalist, and uh, my my grandfather was an author, and so on. So there's, there's, I hadn't been exposed to law at all. When I um, was thinking of applying for, or when I applied to university, law was not something I'd ever considered. So it's just not something that came on my horizon. Mm. And then I come to Hong Kong and I see how much reverence there is for rule of law in Hong Kong. And also, and I must give credit to my current employer space, um, that um, institutions like Hong Kong Youth Space made it possible for people who had who were in other careers and were interested in law to switch. I mean, arguably, we have made it too successful, too, 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 we've been too successful in this. And you now have huge numbers of lawyers in Hong Kong and huge numbers of people who switch. But it is still very beneficial. I was an early beneficiary of this. And of course, I, I went on ultimately to then go on to start running the well, it's not actually, I'm not actually running the course that I um, originally studied on, but anyway, to at least be working where I had originally studied and helping others who want to switch to um, to, 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 to the legal profession. But I think it, it is, I, I've benefited from it, and I think it is very valuable that people who've had no previous exposure to um, legal education can, at any point in their career, decide that they can do it. Did you expect to enjoy, um, to, did you expect to go into teaching then? 
Not really. It's something I just drifted. So I, I studied law. Actually, I studied law part time while I was working at the South China Morning Post, um, which is tough. But lots of people do it, and yeah. you can do. And others have since, many others have since done it. In fact, we joke that sort of every every legal journalist at the SCMP ends up on one of our law courses sooner or later. Um, and then um, I was actually um, space invited me to do some part time teaching, um, and I did more and more of this, even while remaining as a journalist. Um, first of all, I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll come to that secondly. Secondly, I did the sums and realised even though I was only doing this part-time, it was already something like a <laughs> third of my income. And so it uh, sort of becomes, a, even if you just want to look at it from a financial perspective, it becomes a, it's a, it becomes a pretty obvious choice. But yes, it is enjoyable. I mean, um, I'm not sure it would be enjoyable teaching university students everywhere in the world. I'm not sure I want to try it in Britain. But um, Hong Kong students Hong are... Hong Kong students are incredibly conscientious, aren't oh, they? It really they is. It really is. I mean, it's, it, it is a ple- pleasure and it is isn't it? I mean, the only complaint we have is we wish they would be more interactive. But um, uh, first of all, some of them are. And secondly, we understand after a long day of work, we're teaching part-time students. You know, it's a miracle they made it to the class and you can't expect too much. But they are incredibly conscientious and it uh, never ceases to amaze me, the effort they put in. And then, of course, the other side. I mean, I've now been teaching um, 10, uh, since my first type part-time courses, probably I've been teaching students more than 10 years. Wow. Now. Um, and so I have former students. Well, for start, you literally... I've taught thousands of students you literally meet them everywhere in hong kong yeah. i mean they come up to you again and again mr giddings you taught me eight years ago and it, so you try your best to remember who they are <laughs> well, you know, thousands of students <laughs> i often say i mean yeah. i meet them. i meet them on the mtr i meet them in the gym i meet them in donald's literally um, when i of course when i'm walking around um inspecting the occupation zone or, or kind of being i came out I, I taught you um oh uh, many years ago and some of them go on to face successful careers and that is I mean I have students who they started their legal education with me and now they're practicing as lawyers and very successful and um, um, and sometimes they send you notes that it's very touching. Yeah that's amazing. Danny I've never asked you this question before but I, I, I have wondered you know you're, you're a political commentator you you know so much about politics you have such a wealth of knowledge you you know exactly how Hong Kong works have you ever thought about being a politician in Hong Kong did it ever enter your mind to to join a political party or or enter politics in a in a, I don't want to say real way, but be more frontline. Did it ever cross your mind? Not in Hong Kong. If I, I mean, if I'd grown up in Britain, perhaps, I mean, your, your life's different where you grow up. Perhaps mm. I, mean, I was interested in politics. I studied politics at university. I was involved in political issues when I was a student. Yeah. So um, if I had stayed in Britain, perhaps I, I would have. But in Hong Kong, you have to be, you have to be realistic. I mean, uh, um, foreigners have a very important... I mean, one of the lovely things about living in Hong Kong is that... Um, Compared to so many other countries in Asia, you really are accepted. People tell you that again and again. But there, we should still be realistic about the limits on what we can do. And um, active involvement in Hong Kong politics really is not primarily for foreign. I mean, we can do things, but being in the leadership council and so on is not primarily for foreign residents of Hong Kong. And some people really? may hate me for saying that, but I, I think we should be realistic. And I don't, to be honest, I don't think it's helpful either because you, you will just offer a hostage to fortune to people who want to attack and say, well, this is, this is all set up by foreigners. I mean, Hong Kong people will understand and say, oh, you've lived in Hong Kong 20 years, you're a Hong Kong person. I see but, exactly um, where you're coming from. But I'm that won't necessarily to... be seen um, by people 
outside Hong Kong, yeah. and you don't want to damage the cause of which you might do of the people who you, you're trying to help. Um, yeah. So, by all means, participate, participate in protests and so on. Yeah. But in terms of, I do occasionally read expats here who who want to be legislative councillors and so on, and that is possible. I mean, some seats in legislative council are open to foreigners, although most are not. But um, I, I would advise that that that's really not not our role here. Really, Danny, I'm I'm surprised to hear that because you know, to me, you're very Hong Kong. You, yeah, yeah, you you are Hong Kongian. So I I, yeah. I I just assume that maybe you would be more um, wanting I mean, to. But I know what you mean. You, you you participate in a different way. Yeah, so I mean, there are many many ways we can participate, and far more than there would be if we were foreigners living sort of anywhere else in Asia. So we should we should be very thank thankful for that. And of course, for those who do want to try and participate in that way, um, then. Uh, they're welcome to try. I, I would just say that it's not for me and I'm not even sure whether it, it's the best way to pursue when there's so many other ways we can. Yeah, well, now we're talks of foreign forces and all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's part of my point, right? I mean, you don't want to provide ammunition to people needlessly. Um, and, and it's not I as if there's any... Yeah. It's not as if there's any shortage of... Um, People born in Hong Kong like you, oh. right? <laughs> who who are very eloquent and would make far better Hong Kong politicians oh, than me. Oh, Danny, you're so kind. Yeah, right. Hugh, will, Hugh is, you know, uh, listening <laughs> Hugh, to the Hugh, we should program. say, is your boss. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> I know. But before I let you go, Danny, you, you have such a busy life. I mean, you have a wonderful family. You've got two wonderful young children, like you said, Holzi, and you got in the right order too. Girl first, oh, and then so boy. lucky. Yes, and the I mean, my my daughter, who is a very I mean. My, my son is is good student as well, but he's a boy who runs around. But my my daughter is a very good influence on him, and um, they, they go to a local school. I mean, which we want because otherwise they wouldn't learn Chinese. But um, uh, when we're not around, particularly my wife's not around, my, my daughter helps um, her younger brother with his yeah. Chinese homework. Danny, you just glow and you beam every time you talk about your children. Oh. They really are your 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 pride and joy. I think for every parent, yes, yeah. they really have to be. And yes. they're so yeah. cute. Interestingly, I, I know this is your backstory, but I, I wanted to ask you this. Why did you decide to send them to, to local Chinese schools, you know? Well, they're only in primary school now, so we'll have to see when we go to secondary school. Yeah. Although if we can find a local primary school that um, – uh, so local secondary school that we're happy with, then I'm quite happy to continue that. But um, uh, they are knowing – you've seen this, and you, you did very well that you, you, you grew up bilingual in Hong Kong. But you, didn't you go to ESF school, right? Yes, I so did. So many of your oh. classmates grow, grow up um, in Hong Kong not being able to speak Cantonese. Yeah, um, and that is a, a big shame. And they come from, you know, Chinese families. And even more – that's even more – it's always been a problem – even more of a problem in today's society where yeah. Chinese is even more important. I always never, I mean, I never understood that mentality as well, but I, I've come, as I grow older, I've come to realize that parents those days, you know, had a sort of um, liking for, for their children to just only speak English because they were seen mm. a prestige or whatever associated with it. I mean, I, I was raised by my grandparents, so they, I had to speak Chinese because they don't speak mm. any English. But one of my biggest regret was not being able to learn how to read Chinese yeah, properly in yeah. school. And, you know, and now I'm able to read, you know, a newspaper very slowly, but it was because you know, you just have to... It's tough and you really need to go tough. into an early age. And although ESF and international schools are improving their Chinese education, it will never or it's very unlikely to be at the same standard as local schools. If you want your children to be um, fully bilingual, and we do. I mean, my children have a Cantonese parent and, a, and, and, and an English parent. And so we want them to be able to speak the languages of their parents. Then yeah. um, there really is no substitute for sending them to local school. We were very fortunate to find that extremely rare breed of local school where it is run in a 
progressive way by a headmistress who actually believes that um, the international style of education has a great deal to offer and you should try in so far as you can to replicate it in the local system. So it's not one of those local schools that crams you with exams and yeah. non-stop. And so they, they can they can still indulge their creative side while at the same time being in the local system where they will grow up and are, are growing up bilingual. And indeed, they um, my Cantonese is, as I said, is not nearly as good as it should be in um, in, in 20 You're years so in Hong Kong now. They, it is good. No, my Cantonese is equivalent to about a four-year-old because um, when my like- children were four, my Cantonese was still on a par, when, were par with them, but since then it's better. And they do frequently, tra- when we were walking around <laughs> the protest zones, they, they were translating for me, um, um, looking at the slogans in protest zones. Wow. And, uh, okay, no, I, I take it, but put it this way, I would not I would not say anything bad about you in Chinese uh, when you're yes. around, because uh, you would know. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of students in the early years learnt the hard way that... Uh, <laughs> And I think word has gone around now because they, you tend to find they're a bit more careful chatting about me in front, in front of me. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, so what are some of your hobbies and what do you do for fun then, Danny? Oh, God, yeah, well, bringing up a family and working, yeah, work, doing this job and then uh, pe- t- t- pe- freelancing on RTHK. No, um, uh, my wife, who I have so many things to be thankful to, she got me running a couple of years ago. Yeah, I remember that. I yeah, remember was, that, yeah. And I'm a lot healthier than I was a couple of years ago, so I have that to thank. But, I mean, I do actually... You know, enjoy it. It's really great fun. I, I ran 12k last night. I'm getting ready for a half marathon in in a um, in a in uh, in a month's time or so. And I would love. I don't want her to hear this on the radio because she won't. I would love someday to do the full standard chartered marathon, run across the Chiang Mai Bridge. I think that would be fantastic. I'm, I'm not nearly ready for that, um, but um, I hope one day I will be. I, I think, think that'd be an all, all, the half marathon which I've done is already. An, can you imagine you? You run into the tunnel out on Kowloon side and you emerge in, uh, on Hong That's Kong side. Cool. It's such a great feeling. And I think doing the full marathon running across Ching Ma Bridge would be even better. Yeah. Oh, Danny, I really enjoyed talking to you this morning. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been great, Noreen.